Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of When a Guy Has a Really Fucked Gender. I'm your host, Jolene, and I'm bringing you this week a conversation with my friend Seth. Seth, would you like to say hello to the audience? Hello, I am Seth. I use he and pronouns, and originally when Jolene put out the call for the show, one of the categories was Femboy, and they saw that I went, oh, that's me. And this is kind of what started um, this, what started this conversation. Yeah, I guess this is our maybe like, I guess depending on how you count it, like the fourth episode <laughs> in Femboy Block, we had sort of like... An episode that wasn't supposed to be it that kind of became part of it, but also not really. We had like um, the two episodes with a frame. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're we're bringing you now the the another femboy episode. Um, how how do you feel about the word femboy, Seth? Is it is it a word that you like would sincerely identify with, or ironically identify with, or I mean, I think, um, one, that's a genuinely very good question because it's something that I have been thinking through just, like, in my daily life, right? Um, I, for the most part, have been using Femboy as a, like, I I would, hmm, I think the thing that I am thinking through right now is, like, what would differentiate my use of it in a way that is sincere, right? Versus in a way that it's just descriptive. Um, like, I feel like there's a certain amount of intent in describing that description as sincere. Um, whereas right. I think this is kind of just. Sorry, I, I'm having the like, you know, different no, so it's like and I'm, modes I'm, of like disciplines arguing in my head because no, I'm having the I... like. <laughs> I I understand right because it's like sort of like the difference between um it being something that's like super aspirational for you or like a practice versus like right. it just being like a kind of like useful shorthand for like the way that you exist in the world. Right, yes. And like, it, I think I don't think that is ironic, you know, like that latter yeah. isn't sincere, but it's not like I am trying to provoke a particular, you know, reaction or engage with femboyism <laughs> with humor in that sense. God, right. femboyism. I should femboyism. be banned. I, I, that, that alone should have banned me from Spotify. We'll see no, if it happens. it's okay. <laughs> So, was that sort of, I guess, like, the this sort of question of femininity and boyhood, boyhood and femininity, how did those two sort of, like, um, I guess, concepts and the sort of, like, tension and also connection between them? Did that was Got that something it. that sort of like played out in you initially coming to think of yourself as trans and you sort of like 
coming to the decision that transition was something that you needed to do? Or was that yeah. something that came sort of like later as you as you transitioned? Got it. Hmm. So I grew up in Vietnam. Um, I've only I, I've spent most of my like adult years in the US, but my sort of formative years just in general were largely spent in Vietnam. And the kind of femininity that sorry, the the kind of actually let's go this way. The kind of masculinity that was available to me, right, was that of a bush lesbian. Um the the way that gender is thought of in Vietnam is very much um I, I think you do too like gender inversion in that you know, if you hmm, if you desire like em, like a way of embodying yourself, or like yeah, like if you desire a certain embodiment, that also means that you desire a certain like class of partners, um, right? Certain, and so like, sexual, I a certain sexual yes. persona or something like that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, my only sort of understanding of what transmasculinity looked like um, were butch lesbians, right? And so I spent a significant period of time, even as I, like, e- even after I've sort of, you know, gone to the States and met more queer people, like, having that as the general framework for my thinking through and understanding gender. Um, and yeah, I think that, you know, that, that keying in of um, masculinity as like having to do with um, your like sexual desires is something that, um, is, is something that definitely determined what I felt was available and possible, you know, like for a very, very long time. Um, <laughs> I, I was in what I now call the dyke trenches, which is, you know, the, the place in which you sort of call yourself a dyke and girls are nice and cute, but ultimately you want something out. You, you want more juice out of this lemon. Does that make sense? Then it can ever actually sort of offer what is what is the juice in this in this context in this scenario um i would i i think the juice is like pleasure in the sense of like right living in the sense of like well right living is a weird way of phrasing i say i mean that doesn't sound sort of like um it, it sounds maybe more to me like you're 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 going to the if we're gonna like use this like metaphor, you're going to the wrong fruit. Like the fruit isn't to yeah your, exactly yeah, like, yeah the, yeah, the, no, the lemon good. isn't to your taste. You need like an apple or something, right? <laughs> right. And you know, the more I try to work with the lemon, it's it becomes more and more sort of patently obvious and also ridiculous, right? That what I was doing and what I actually wanted out of what I was doing was like extremely divergent. Um, 
I think another thing about femininity that you know I was thinking of in our the last time we tried to record this, knock on wood, that it will you know not crash and burn again. But something that I was thinking of is um, the ways in which like femininity as much as I have experienced it, right, in the context in which I grew up, is very much virtuous, um, which I'm unsure if we want to sort of generalize this to all gen like cisgender TM tendencies being an understanding of gender's virtues. But um, one of my first ever sort of experiences gender capital g was failing to play the piano um my mom is a classical pianist you know very much like well trained very much wanted me to have the qualities that she had right which is being a very good pianist and i got as far as maybe like the first three pages of these uh and I remember sort of realizing that failure and feeling that, you know, not, not just that I wasn't able to play a piece of music, but that, you know, because the connection between um, my musical ability and my mom's sort of position in the world is so, like, the, the association between these things are so strong. I remember feeling a sense of like, wow, I, I failed at being like mom in whatever sense, right? Like I fail in a social sense that isn't, that doesn't really have anything to do with piano itself. Right. One thing I really appreciate about that story, um, because as, as you said, we tried to record this podcast before and I, I lost the episode due to my own um, screwing something up. So but that I, I recall that story, and one thing I really appreciate appreciate about it is the sort of like specificity of it. Um, and I think that that sort of captures something that is um, just kind of true about how we sort of like come into the world and and grow up, which is that like, you know, everyone's sort of situation, everyone's like family is is unique to some extent. like there's there's like a thing or there's multiple things that sort of like create this constellation and you know in other families it's not going to be the case that there's this sort of like um that this sort of like you know matrilineal whatchamacallit is like piano playing um but in your situation it it was and i mean it's i mean it, it it right like it almost could have been anything but that's that's kind I, of... I, I think it could have been anything, right? When sort of it, it could be, and I'm not exaggerating this because I'm sort of loosely paraphrasing uh, a story that I know of from my relatives. It could be following a recipe, like family recipe. Um, right. Yeah. No, I mean that was another example that I was thinking of was like cooking as like a sort of like sexed task within families. Um, absolutely yeah um so, yeah no sorry go ahead 
Well, no, I was just I was just going to ask. So, like, you you sort of have this. When 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 does this sort of like failure set in for you, chronologically? Um, early on, maybe five six years old, like okay, within the wow. sediment of like like formative memories. Right, like very base level. And so, yeah. how does that sort of like? Is that sort of like? I I I. I I assume is that like does that sort of like become in your experience like connected with some sort of like gender nonconformity that you like already have going on? Does that become like the impetus towards something, or does it just sort of like do all these connections only really appear in retrospect? What's kind of like going on with you? Um, I guess kind of from that point forward. <laughs> Um, sorry, I, I'm laughing not because that is not a good question, but because I'm just interpolating that as, you know, so I, I had therapy earlier tonight, in which my therapist sort of very nicely was like, don't have, what's, um, what's up with you? And um, anyhow, we, we adore Natalie in this house, and she is wonderful. No, I, th- I don't think that um, at that moment, like, that to me read as like one as gender capital G um, to that I, I don't think my understanding of gender nonconformity sort of took that as like its starting point although was it influential? Yeah definitely um, what I was also going to mention is like this despair that I'm talking about uh, occurred in the form of me sort of physically biting down on the piano. It is made of wood. That hurt it. Um, <laughs> and to this day, there are two scratch marks on the, it's not the lid of the piano, but, you know, like the edge where um, you, like, set your music. Right. <laughs> to, to this day, there are two, like, scrapes that you know no one has known sort of what happened well you know whoever it is that listens to this podcast now knows what happened um <laughs> oh my goodness what I, a secret yeah I, you're right a secret told on spotify on a podcast no but um the reason why i bring this up is because if there i think if there is any way that this memory right like shaped how i think about gender i think it's the kind of like it it, it is very much grounded in the physical reaction i had to that failure being you know kind of like incandescent rage at something that i wasn't able to name and that i knew was definitely not just not being able to play the piano really well. Um, I I say this because, like, sort of growing up, I'm not necessarily a, um, you know, like I I don't sort of pride myself on being able to stick to a task that I dislike, despite you know, sorry, stick to this task I dislike because. Why would I do that? Um, so it's not like for me that memory is not associated with just like, oh, you know, this is 
a kind of virtuous failure in that you know like i i have failed to play the piano really well in a scale of you know one to ten with ten being mastery over this thing i have not done it therefore i rate it right like that's it, it stands out because that's not how i approach a lot of things in fact anything while growing up so yeah Okay. I don't know if this answers your initial question, but... Yeah, I mean, I guess I've just sort of, like... I'm not sure it does, but that's okay. It's it's still useful sort of, like, background for, for going in to answer the question, but I guess... I don't know, maybe mm. another way of putting it is just sort of, like... So, like, what, what what kind of kid were you from, like, sort of, like, you know, like, five through to to whenever, I guess? Um, uh, I mean, you say like not very good mm, at sticking to things that you didn't like. Yeah, well, that's that's one thing. Um, <laughs> I I had the sort of, you know, like, so I, hmm, how how do I phrase this in a way that is not insulting to any of the parties involved? Uh, <laughs> so growing up, I didn't really have a lot of friends. To prefer to spend time alone, etc. Um, one day, I kind of, and this is like still within the like five to seven years old like bracket. Um, I hear my parents talking about whether I possibly have autism. I did not know what that was at the time, but I was like, "Ooh, that sounds bad." Like whatever that means, that sounds like a bad thing. Um, and so the extent to which like after that i kind of consciously train myself to become a more social person um is significant uh but i think in general i would describe myself as a really weird fucking kid um and Weird in a way that wasn't like. Hmm, how do I how do I put this? You know, like despite sorry, not despite. Um, wanting pe- other people to like me, sure. I feel like that's just kids socializing. But right. I think there is a degree of malice that. I constantly was like, I could do that, you know? Like, I, that is something that is within the possibility of how I engage with people. And I am not doing that, and I'm unsure why. So that's one other piece. The, one of the additional pieces to, you know, Seth as a kid is that I learned to read really early on. Um, I was able, like, I was pretty much able to read in Vietnamese and, like, English-ish um, around three-ish years old. Like, before I properly went to kindergarten. Um, okay, wow. One of the, again, core memories I have is reading for my kindergarten class while the caretakers, teachers, like, kind of just chill in a corner, 
I think they were like eating some kind of like dessert or treat. It was very funny. Um, and the reason why I remember that so well is because I was able to read the page in front of me, but I couldn't see people at all. Like I couldn't see any of the faces in front of me. Um, and later on, I found out that I had like just really fucked up eyes, um, <laughs> like bad, like astigmatism and also myopia. Okay. Hence, yeah, weirdly fucked up eyes and also generally averse to sports, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I, I feel like that's a, that's a decently sort of, decently full picture. Okay. In terms of how it relates to gender, I think that I was very much like, on the fringes of, you know, like, female friend groups in, at least, like, through elementary and secondary school. Um, and very much being, like, you know, I'm cool with this kind of distance. My okay. My relationships to... Uh, like women in my age and just like within the social world that I was in mostly was one-on-one like mostly like so not it's like I didn't quite have the like oh you know this is a group of girls who like hang out together um what I did have was a something akin to that right but with um some of the guys in my secondary school, but it very much was not based along the lines of like shared interests. For example, in, there, there, are, there, there might still be a lot of internet cafes in Vietnam. This is something that I don't quite know, but while I was growing up, one of the things that you do for fun is you just go to internet cafes and play like, World's, World of Warcraft, um, Dota, that like that kind of stuff, right? And so, you know, one way to sort of be one of the guys is being really good at gaming. Um, I was very much not that. Like, I think I went once or, like, kind of went along as they were walking to the internet cafe that was close to my primary school, secondary, and was like, I, I'm gonna just do nothing here, like, this is not worth it. But I was very much there, out of the, like, sense that there's something, like, that I can understand and engage with in the ways that, you know, 12 to 15-year-old Vietnamese guys engage. Um, but it baffles me to this day, sort of like what exactly, um, was the like shared interest or whatever, because I don't think there was any, um, in the sense of like, you know, classic guy interest, especially, you know, those of like adolescents. Um, I think. 
what else is relevant to the question as asked? Um, well, let me ask, let me, let me, let me ask this. When did you sort of become aware of like, I guess like sexuality and um, your specific sexuality and like, I guess this sort of like a question of like, as you said, the sort of like predominant model for like understanding that that was available to you during this time was mm -hmm. like a sort of like sexual inversion, um, like butch lesbian one. When when did you kind of become aware of all of that? Got it. Yeah, that's. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, that's helpful to rephrase things. Um, I. So, I think aware in the sense of like sex and gender are the same thing and you know one sort of like one sort of necessarily means the other i don't think i'm able to put in an exact date or event where i'm like okay this is like when i realized like this was a thing or like this was the kind of system that i'm embedded into but um i can tell you exactly when it was that I was like, oh, butch lesbians exist. And it is when I met someone that, funny enough, like ended up also transitioning at some point in the last few years. But at, at this point in the past, so this was seventh grade, it's like 13, 14 years old. Um, I have heard of a person that was and I quote, very cool and different um, from just like girls in my class, right? And so yeah. one day I sort of walked by and saw them talking to like one of the extremely pretty girls in my class. And I was like, hold the phone. That's not a dude. Wait, wait, that's the person that, you know, was mentioned to me. And I think I spent the next, like, eventually, um, both, um, like, both of us would be known in our school as the, like, into women and uses he and pronouns gals. Um, but at that point, and I think in the next few weeks, I would just kind of like make excuses to leave my classroom, right? Like during recess or breaks or whatever, and like wander around towards where their class was, because we had homerooms um, in Vietnam, and being like, what the fuck is this? And why does it make some kind of sense? Um, by, by ninth grade, I very much was in the habit of using masculine pronouns, especially with um, other girls in my class, and sort of, you know, dating a handful of women that were, I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to speculate on their reasons or, like, thinking, but what I will say is that a lot of it feels very playful and like kind of nice. Um, 
So that's, I, I think that is the, like, when did I, when was I aware of transmasculinity, right, as something that was feasible? Um, and the form that that possibility took. Okay, I, I, I recall actually, um, now that you mentioned it, I recall from our last conversation, us talking a little bit about the the fact that you were using, um, I mean, I assume not literally he and him because you're- Oh, I, 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 I was. Oh, oh, actually, okay. I guess I'm, I wasn't clear what the sort of, um, I, I assumed that you were, were you speak was, is English like the sort of primary language of instruction? In no, Vietnam, so I, I, no, so I was still interacting in Vietnamese, which okay. I think I'll actually just quickly explain how Vietnamese relational pronouns work because they work yeah. slightly differently. Than I was going to say, English. I think I, we had a conversation about this last time and that was what I was trying to get to. Got it. Okay. Um, Julian, you could have just said, "Give me, give me the Vietnamese linguistics," and I will absolutely do so. But, it's okay. Um, well, I. <laughs> well, no. It's also it's it's also like useful to know that you were using like he and him when you spoke English. I assume is that is that what you mean? Say that one more time. Were you were you in this era like if you were speaking in English? Would or people were speaking in English with you, would you use, like, no. he, him pronouns? Oh, you wouldn't? I would not. Okay. So, um, I, I have pulled up the Wikipedia article about Vietnamese pronouns because I'm curious about, I, I'm very curious about what is said here. And so, usually what I start with to scare anglophones as i say we have like over 60 different relational pronouns um and you know the way that those pronouns are used is that they connote a specific relationship um you and i can have a a host of different relationships right because of uh, like whether it's because of our difference in age um our sort of perceived familiarity, closeness, intimacy, um, etc. So what like the, the pronouns that you use are gendered, right? But they're not immediately gendered in the way that um, third person pronouns in English are. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um and so in in Vietnamese, right? The pair of pronouns that I was using with a lot of my classmates is "ang" and "an," and um, "ang" is usually um, used in reference to just like a guy that is older than you that is in the ra- range of being your brother, um, and "m" is gender neutral. And just means a like someone that is around your younger sibling's age. Okay. Um, I I knew that I was very averse, even when I'm I was like you know being the butch or whatever, right? I was I was extremely averse to being 
refer to with the older sister age range pronoun. Um, okay. So I like ex I will exclusively refer to myself with the you know, older guy uh, relational pronouns, despite being of the same age of all of my classmates. And this just scans. You know, like all, all everything that I'm telling you right now scans extremely easily as like transmasculinity and lesbianism. Right. Um to the extent that, you know, it so yeah, like that's kind of how that played out. Um in other relationships I had, the most pronouns are non-gendered, especially pronouns about like referring to people who are your equals. Um, most of them are non-gendered. What differentiates them is usually degrees of intimacy and or degrees of hostility. Uh, and yeah, and so like in my other I guess in my other interactions, right? Like gender doesn't come up or isn't coded in speech in the way that um, it is coded in speech in my relationship with the girls that I was like flirting with or dating. Okay. You said that it's it's not, it isn't, or it is coded in speech? Well, it's it's with my quote-unquote equals so like with my friends both okay. like male and female um the relationship that i would have with like the the relationship that i would have and would be able to name right like using these relational pronouns are mm -hmm. by the by and large non-gendered that's kind of what okay. i'm trying to get at okay i see i see what you mean by that like there's like a spike of gender right there <laughs> and like pretty much nowhere else right okay interesting interesting so and that spike is i don't, I don't know like how, how do you feel about that spike is it something that you're like comfortable navigating around are you sort of uneasy about it uh i mean it was very so I have multiple answers based on the different sort of frameworks that I had available, um, just like throughout my time being a person. I think mm -hmm. at that time, right, I was comfortable to the extent that it was like that specific spike in gender seems um, somewhat tenable, you know, like there were people that saw me and referred to me right as a masculine person and I can hold that social position. And I also like girls. So, you know, checks out for me. The, I think the big thing is the kind of, the, the kind of exclusivity, right? The, the presumed exclusivity of like, you have to be homosexual in order for this gender thing to work out that way. Am I making okay. sense? Like, yeah, I, I mean, and 
it's it's sort of it's it to my mind it maybe is pointing us in a direction of something that um I recall from the uh from our from our previous attempt at recording, which was the sort of like I guess like the fact that you're into guys and mm-hmm. that as as you told it to me last time, this was kind of important in you you making the decision to transition and you sort of coming to the understanding. Oh, absolutely. And so, yeah. So, yeah. so, but like, how are you confronting that as a teenager? Oh, are you just like kind of, are you just kind of burying it? Are you, what are you, what are you doing about it? Ah, so this is, I, I think this is where the fact that I eventually will come to live in the States becomes relevant. Um, in the States, the, what I call myself becomes much more important, just like in the way that I could become legible to the people around me, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think, I think, I don't think at any point during my secondary education in Vietnam that I sort of refer to myself as a, like, consciously refer to myself as like a lesbian TM or bisexual or whatever, right? I was aware that I was into women and that being addressed in a certain way feels good. Um, And sort of coming, the the, the sort of coming to terms with like, oh, wait, but I like guys, but I'm a lesbian, really like ratcheted up while I was living in the States. Um, And I remember, <laughs> so um, by uh, my by the end of my high school, I was very much like, okay, this being referred to or being seen as just like not a girl, right, in some way, feels good, and it happens almost exclusively in the context of me dating women. Okay, that means I'm a butch lesbian, and in the sense of like what a butch lesbian meant to me at that time, it means someone that who was exclusively attracted to women. Um, and so we come to what I call the dive trenches, uh, which was the period between 20, I think like late 2018, early 2020, uh, sorry, late 2018, early 2019, to the beginning of the pandemic, in which I was very, very certain that I was a lesbian and sort of publicly identifying as such, like making a very big deal out of being such, um, and also sleeping with guys um, every other night. And, you know, I, I think the way that I put it was that you, you, you can only sort of um, ferret away a guy through your back door so many times before you're kind of like, okay, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> like, this is funny um, in a way that was unhelpful. Um, but I think that the kind of that, that contradiction was not as acute during my teenage years, partially because I was living at a boarding school. Um, and the sort of 
risk that I would incur, sort of having sex with people, was like extremely not not worth it as someone who's not a U.S. citizen. Um, right. And yeah, and so I think the big fucking like the contradictions, as they said, was pretty much playing out in college when I had the kind of space and privacy where they can actually, like, the contradictions can actually play out, right? Um, and it was very much, you know, my inability to see a way but to reconcile liking men, right, with being masculine in the terms that I'm used to or having any connection to masculinity within the sort of context of what I'm used to. I think that the the decision that I made to sort of call up my um, HRT provider was very much made as a like, okay, I don't know what I want, right? I don't really know what is going on in the sense that I don't think that will be any closer to answering whether I'm a non-binary trans mass lesbian, end quote, or a guy. Like, no, I, I think at that point I've been doing, I've just like been walking around my campus, like brain entirely going at 20 miles per hour, just thinking about this for like a couple of days. I was like, this is, I'm getting nowhere closer to this. And there is no way that I'm going to get closer to it, right? Without trying out something that I was just, that, that I could not factor in because I didn't know how I would react to it. Um, and that's kind of the like, okay, I guess, I guess I'll try to, why not? Um, Were you yeah, that sort think... of like casual about it when you... Yeah. Time. Okay. I mean, you... at that time, yes. And then, how long was it? I was on T for like uh, two months, and then I stopped for four to five months. Okay. What What caused you to stop? Um, I think it was the realization, like, okay, I, I now have this thing. So what now? Right, like. I now have added being on testosterone to the above, meaning like what I wanted sexually, right? And what I wanted myself to look like and to um, sort of exist in the world as a corporal thing. Um, so what exactly do I want out of this? I think I mentioned that, you know, I got a binder a year after I was on T, um, something like that. Because like only then was I really able to even imagine that as an option right, that was available for me. Like that it was a kind of, mod- like it was a change to my body that I would like. Um, and I think that the reason why I stopped was 
because that's kind of like, okay, I don't, what exactly has changed, right? Like I've been on this for two months. I've been at that time living under pandemic conditions with my then girlfriend who also just, I think, so she started estrogen while I was not in Chicago, but we will soon end up spending our first year transitioning pretty much like living together under a pandemic, um, which I don't recommend to most people. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that sounds like a, um, that sounds like a experience. Yeah, it sounds very emotionally intense. Yeah, don't tell me about it. Um, But yeah, I think part of the reason why I stopped was, yeah. At this time, I was still very much identifying um with like with you know the the prevailing transmasculine aesthetic that i was aware of growing up which is shitty undercut you know t-shirts um like a very specific type of transmasculine that is dicogenesis um, and I remember sort of seeing myself in the mirror and being like, I don't like this, actually. Like, I like being able to, uh, like, be- being able to ornament myself, right? And I'm using that, like, extremely intentionally. I, I want to be able to ornament myself in a way that wasn't, or didn't seem possible with this way of doing transmasculinity. Um, this is roughly the time when I started becoming real fucking online on Twitter. And I started sort of seeing people that were transmasculine and did not have that kind of relationship to like transmask sort of aesthetic or embodiment or desire, right? And being like, wait, you can do that? Oh, you can. Like you, you can you can just be a guy who, you know, is trans and also is into guys. What? Um shout out to Stumpwater, you know who you are, and also Noah. Like genuinely very much like impactful um people in my sort of gender journey or whatever. And helping you realize that, like, being a gay dude was an option. Right. Or being, like, I think this sounds, there's a part of me that's kind of like, wow, I sound silly, which, you know, it is what it is. But yeah, like, being a gay dude, was an option but also just like transmasculinity doesn't have to be aligned along like a rejection of femininity okay Does I, that make I, sense? I, yeah no i i see that i see that i see that really hard i mean it's definitely something that like I don't know. I mean, like, I think of, like, all my sort of, like, 
trans masculine friends who sort of like started tea and then were like a lot more comfortable like exploring around with like femininity and stuff like that it mm-hmm. may sort of like existing in those sorts of ways or, or doing those sorts of things feel yeah it... mm-hmm. be- better for them to feel like something that they that they could do rather than like this thing that they had to avoid right no and i think that part of um the way that i went about thinking of this is still pretty determined by the sexual inversion framework that i mentioned at the beginning right where for me um you know i think being a guy that is into guys and femininity is still pretty like tightly woven insofar as you know seeing trans guys who are gay guys made it feel possible for me to sort of, as I said, imagine transmasculinity that isn't just a rejection of transfeminity, like, just a rejection of femininity. Um, but yeah, like, I think that the sort of, wow, I started tea and now I look like a billowy 18th century pirate thing felt. I am looking at such a shirt right now in my closet. Oh my goodness! Amazing, right? It's like I can imagine. I can imagine it. It's it's probably a good look on you. Yeah, no, hanging right next to the pink harness. We we are living. Um, oh God! <laughs> nice, nice. Thank you. Yeah, okay. Kind of, that's that's gender, baby. <laughs> gender. So you. Okay, and. Hmm. So you, I, I guess you said that you, did you like have a lot of sort of trans friends going into this? Like, I mean, oh, it, it, it sort of sounds like you maybe did. I feel like this kind of, um, I, I, I find it hard to imagine that that's sort of the attitude that you said that you sort of took arises sort of without at least at least one sort of like trans person that you're close to but um yeah so um complicated question to answer uh in the sense that immediately before the pandemic i was living in a an apartment with four other people uh one of whom is a trans guy who started t shortly after um, we moved in, a T for T lesbian couple, and a cis lesbian. And yes, I did have you know trans people that I could trust and that were incredibly fucking patient when I was just like <laughs> gender, um, but. I wouldn't describe the kind of space I was in as particularly like amenable to the way that I wanted to do transmasculinity. Does that make sense? Yeah. What What exactly was sort of lacking about that space, or what was what kind of limits were you did you come up against? Yeah, I I, I think this is a problem of um, too much too much affirmation. 
uh, <laughs> in that you know no no one no one saw fit to properly call me out in in like a like hey you know this ain't my business but um like there's something to you bringing guys home with increasing regularity and also asserting yourself as a part like as someone who takes part right in lesbian culture as someone who takes part in lesbian like social circles what's up with that um no one in that apartment said that right even though i got a lot of flack for it like, like for bringing guys home but it was always in the direction of men suck and are terrible right instead of like there's something going on here, you know? Um, also, I wasn't... I was going by a mas the masculine version of my previous name at that point, which okay. I think is relevant to bring up, even if it doesn't seem very relevant at the moment. Um, no, I mean, it definitely it, it sounds relevant. But, um, uh, did I have... Outside of that, I knew two trans mass people, um, one of whom, bo both of whom, like, sorry, so these two people were friends um, and were really close to each other. One of them sort of detransitioned and became a Nazi and he oh? was just kind of fucking, wait, did I not tell you about this? No. Okay, yeah, because this person was my main source about transitioning before oh I ended up transitioning. They they detransitioned and became a Nazi? Pretty much, yeah. Oh my goodness. It's like, All wow, right. you, de you, you detransitioned and uh, you're working in crypto and you are uh, saying what now about black people? Okay, okay. Okay, cool. But, um, but yes. Okay, so sorry. That is extremely relevant. Um, context that I thought I had brought up in our last session, and I don't think I ever did. So, no, um, oh my goodness. So I was kind of friends with this like crust punky, you know, weird art kid group oh. of friends. Yeah, I can. Okay, I can understand now. <laughs> and you know, like the the my first impression of this person, we'll, we'll call them person A, um, and other trans mass person A, you person B. Um, so A, my first impression of A was that A owned a copy of Fang's Humana that A's dog has partially eaten, um, and that okay. A was a military brat. Okay, interesting. Lots going on. Um, but basically, when I met A and B, they were one or like they were a couple years into transitioning. Um, at that point, and A was going through it like pretty obviously in retrospect, right? But I wasn't really aware of it, and. It was the only person that I knew who had um, 
who had transitioned and who had elected for like reconstructive surgeries, basically. Um, and so I was like, hey, um, I think I want to medically transition. I know that you have done that. What's the vibe? And the first thing that they said, that, that they said was like, you need to, um, basically you need to see a psychiatrist and also go see a therapist because you're fucked up in other ways and not because you're trans. Like, and oh. sort of after that, yeah, no, like full on, that was the, the first thing that anyone has said to me about the possibility of me like transitioning med uh, medically. Um, wild. And sort of in the next couple weeks, this was all happening too, right before the pandemic hit. Um, but in the couple weeks of that happening, they would send me articles by like turf blogs, DTrans posts on like r slash DTrans, like shit like that. And being like, is mistake and do not do while sort of also in my inbox, like ranting about a relationship or a person that it was really into that was just like really fucked in other ways that I don't think merits mention on this podcast at the moment. But I'm happy to just like talk at some other point. So that's like one of the two trans masculine people I knew. Well, one of the three. Um, one of my roommates, part of the T4T lesbian couple, is trans masculine and also sort of very strongly IDs, right, with being a lesbian. And so I was like, okay, that's not really a source for me because that's already what I'm doing. It's not working out. Um, B, on the other hand, was you know, like, or is, like, he's still around. B is a really sort of, like, the, the dilemma presented to him was also, like, what if I just want to be a lesbian who's also a guy? Um, and also just kind of going fucking through it with that question. But he was very sort of, I think, honest to me that that was where he was coming from and what he wanted and like that the scope of whatever advice or comradeship or whatever that he could offer me is like like you know also will take into consideration his own like gender shit um but yeah like those were in terms of like trans people that i had in my life at that moment that was everyone right and then for the next however many months of the pandemic, it was just my roommate, again, at the time, my ex-girlfriend, who just started estrogen, and me, like, in an apartment. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> spicy, spicy transition timeline. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like it. Oh my goodness. Oof. Were you guys... Did, 
did you guys break up at some point over that year? Or were yes. you already broken? Okay. How did yeah. how did that we, go? We broke up. Um, God, I feel like such a joke because I can't remember the exact date, like off the top of my head. But we broke up basically around the time when, um, like, right before the Delta, like, variant really started hitting, and there was like a vaccine in development. Most people were vaccinated. Um, it, it's like the like mid summer twenty twenty one or late yeah. summer 2021, they're like, oh, shit, we might have something, like, somewhat akin to, like, a social world. Um, at that point, I was just kind of like, okay, this isn't working out. And we broke up, and I'm very happy to say that she's a mutual of mine on Twitter. Okay, well... That's the... Yeah. That works out. Right? It's like, well, okay. But, yeah, I was admittedly, like, kind of a dick about it in that I was like, hey, can I come up to your apartment to talk about something? Came to her apartment, sat her down, was like, so I wanted to... So I want to break up with you. Um, But we ended up having... Like a couple of weeks later, just like conversation about the breakup itself and kind of like how she was feeling and what she needed for us to like have some kind of relationship moving forward. So like, you know, it's been good. That's good. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think after that, I kind of gave myself a, I will not date people who like, I will not date or otherwise get extremely emotionally involved with people who are beginning to transition learn to that one like including myself here in the learn to that one category right um okay i understand that so what what's the sort of hmm. i mean I remember last time, I do remember this from last time um, as being the question that we had to like, after we'd finished recording, we had to start recording again because it was an important question. It was when I went to ask you. Um, yes. <laughs> I think you probably remember it. Um, what are you going I, to do? I think so as well. Yes. What, what am I going to do about aging? Oh, right. Oh. Um, I mean, that's the sort of like, right, that's me like one of the sort of like central questions of the sort of like femininity boy boy, yeah the femboy block is what are we doing about age and i guess the way that that sort of intersects with like femininity boyhood desirability absolutely um i think something that i haven't brought up here that was very much on my mind in the previous conversation was sort of like my position, right, like as an Asian person who is transmasculine, who also enjoys femininity, and like navigating that within the context of like queer Anglophone and or American culture. Um, like my youth and the sort of availability of UTM 
that is like associated with me sort of racially right right definitely plays into um the way that i am i think at the beginning of the episode describing like how i describe myself as a femboy which is like kind of just straightforwardly descriptive instead of excuse me ah sincerely or um ironically i think that the question of like i i, I engage like the what am i going to do about age question in a similarly descriptive way which is that i think that femboyhood in this in the context that i inhabit is bound up with race in such a way that age and race becomes um implicated in each other in like the equation of like when does desirability run out you know like and also when does if desirability is youth and youth is feminine when does femininity run out etc um but i think that that's one of my answers as to what the fuck am i going to do when i start aging the other answer that i gave at that time was just like i have not thought about it. um which i think is still true in that you know before um how do i put this i am in a position of having more time than i uh imagined and so i now am in the spot where i'm like oh okay like i could like i have to imagine future right like in whatever legible sense and that is strange to me like the horizon that i feel is available to me at any given moment historically is like 2 to 3 years um which is not at least i don't think is a legible like um time frame to think about aging however i ended up taking um a couple summer classes like just this summer where i was interacting with a lot of high school seniors and like incoming freshmen who wanted to get a leg up on their credits to which i say you know good for them um and being aware in a way that i have never been so like acutely aware that i was the oldest person in the room right like i had like i turned 23 this year most of the people in that room were like 17 and 18 year old, years old um i remember getting really annoyed at something i think some kid quoted like heidegger uh out of context and being like wait why would i like why am i getting worked up over this this is a like a literal kid like they cannot drive why engage in a way that you know like what why engage in a way that would make me sort of angry and that was my like discomforting realization that i am in fact the oldest person in the room you know excluding the instructor um so i think the updated answer to your question is 
I haven't thought about it, but I am now reminded of it because of the like social setting that I'm finding myself in again, which is universe, like which is college. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's a trip when you sort of become. I mean, yeah, as you know, sort of being a graduate student and TAing and and stuff like that. It's been weird for me to enter this sort of spot of of being one of the older ones. But I don't know. It's 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 also it's it's happened to me sort of periodically throughout my life. I. Becomes. Ooh, actually, I I wanna I wanna add something. Um, yeah, please, please. So, so, so there's that perspective, and then there's another perspective which I'm not yet able to reconcile. That has something to do with what you just said. So, I, at least with what I think you're gonna go, like where you're gonna go with that. No, I mean, I, I'm just sort of like thinking back to like right being in high school and then being an undergrad and sort of like the kind of churn that happens there where like friend groups like the the older members graduate and younger members are inducted and then sort of all of a sudden you were at one point like the younger member being inducted and now you are like the older member who's presiding i thought i thought you're gonna bring up the milk thing Oh, I mean that 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 is also <laughs> that's that's a different sort of thing. Um, yes, I've always I've always I mean maybe this is a sort of thing that I need to recon- reconcile with that desire, which is that I've always found that position of authority kind of uncomfortable um, and tried to sort of. I've I think I've gotten better at handling it as I sort of, I think becoming Wait. a graduate student and becoming a TA mm-hmm. and sort of having to actually like. Having a framework. Yeah. Well, I think having like a framework for it where it's like, okay, I'm I'm this because of this thing, and not just because of like this vague sort of vibes. Social... Yeah, not just because of this like sort of like vague social capital makes it a lot uh. easier for me to sort of like I guess deal with the fact that because I always hated it. I like loathed it when like these kids like would like look up to me and like ask me for advice or like you know, right. like, try to, like, sort of, like, be cool like I was, you know, quote-unquote, I'd be like, yeah, no. It's making me want to crawl out of my skin. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I feel um, that. But, but what I was going to bring up is the experience of, you know, like, I participate in some certain amounts of organizing in Chicago, and one of the people that I knew and sort of looked up to kind of just like hit me up out of the blue one day being like by the way I'm also a trans guy and that like completely catching me off guard because this one's like 40 you know like he is a homeowner he fixes his own fucking laundry machine like um (laughs) and I remember sort of sitting at the diner where we like met and had dinner and being like you know like he's a he is also a really sort of like i think he would self-describe as a sweater queen like that that is how i will describe him um is this a sweater queen yes okay 
Um, and I was very much sitting there being like, you exist, and I also cannot, like, my current framework of, like, gay men as a category, and femboys as a category, and trans guys as a category, does not intersect in a way that I can, like, make sense that you exist, right? Um, and sort of taking a really long time to be, even be like, you know, like, trans people do in fact live, I guess, for long enough to do things such as um, pay down mortgage. Um, <laughs> which, wild fucking thought. Um, right. But yeah, like, I, I guess that's the sort of different positions that I have on the relation of age to trans masculinity that I am still, I have yet to fully reconcile. Um, but I think I'll shape the way that I'm thinking about like future whatever and like what I want out of like my body. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I get, I get that. There was a sort of, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I've talked about it before. That sort of like forward projection, um, mm -hmm. alongside transition is, it's 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 a weird thing. I think everyone has a different relationship to it. I definitely, um, I don't know. Im Im do it a lot. I think it's like. Uh, I don't know. It's something that sort of like it, it like hit me like a flash when I started transitioning. I was like, oh, I can actually do this. Right. No, I I I completely feel that. Like the thing that I was talking to you earlier about not having a sense of the future, right? It's just like kind of not how I think about time these days. Yeah. But where I'm actually kind of like, oh, I'm planning in advance for, and not just like surgeries although that matters and that is one of the markers around which i am planning my time right but just in the sense that there are now like some there's now something to look forward to even if i am unsure what exactly that is just within the way that i'm able to like desire and to move through the world. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I get that. I feel that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is 10.55. Yes, yeah, so I was about to say, it's getting, it's getting late, and we are... We've, we've hit what I, I usually try to aim for the episodes, so... I think we can Perfect. use our, our sort of closing thoughts now. Um, um, do you have any closing thoughts? I feel like we've kind of been circling around them for a minute now. I, I'm curious as to what yours are, because I don't think I have anything like outstanding in terms of uh, any like closing thoughts. But, you know, I think I will either be reminded 
or my thinking about whatever this topic is will be much clearer. No, I mean, I, I sort of, I guess I don't really have much. I, I feel like the sort of what what you were saying just before I I moved before we moved to this in in sort of earnest was kind of where I wanted to leave at this kind of question of forward projection and transition and um, the things that become available for us at different points, the futures that become the doors that open and close and sort of um, so on and so forth, you know? Yeah. Um, hmm. Is there a door that's open to you now that you're excited about? Maybe that's a, a good final question. I don't know. I mean that's that's a that's a good question. Um, is there a door that is now open that wasn't before that I'm excited for? Uh, voice control. Um, I probably will be taking vocal lessons at some point soon. Hopefully, Okay. because. I used to sing a lot. Um, like singing was important to me as a way of like being able to like express myself and like engage with my body, right? And starting to made it really difficult to sing because my sort of muscle memory, so sort of my vocal cords and diaphragm and whatever, right? remembers like they remember certain um positions or certain like arrangements that i can no longer produce so i'd be you know, listening to like when did this happen last time kim petrus um <laughs> like you know classic hit hard to break um and i used to be able to sing you know and hit all of the notes that the singer could um and my it's like you know you my body remembers how to like the motions needed to do that but it doesn't have the hardware to do it does that make sense Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. because i i don't i don't have perfect pitch um i but i have decent enough pitch that i can have a I have a really close sense of like the sound that I am going to make versus the sound that is in my head and getting on tea means that reconciling those two things become a lot more um I'm a lot less uh what's the word used to that as I used to be um so just Having getting vocal training such that I can engage with singing as an activity um, will be exciting. That's This awesome. is my like. This is my like. I have now told this to you and however many people that listen to this, and so I will be sort of socially bound to my word and will actually end up finding a vocal coach. I've been saying that I will do this for about two years, so. Well, I hope it goes well for you, and I hope you you enjoy sort of um, your new your your new sort of uh, 
Your new range, your new... Right? It's like new, old, old activity, yeah. new range. Um, yeah. What, what I was gonna say, and I think this is what I ended the last episode with, I am still fascinated by the idea of a femboy walk, and whenever you're kind of like feeling up to it, and folks who might be interested are up to it, God, I would love for all of us to talk femboys. Yes, I am very much looking forward to getting the femboy circle together, the femboy roundtable. That sounds like some extremely cursed punk band. The Femboy Roundtable, yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. yes. <clears throat> I feel like it would be like a sort of like a scrams band, you know, in the sort of vein of like, uh, like, um, I don't know, not quite Seisha, like a little bit dirtier, a little bit like fuzzier than Seisha. I'm um, nodding along like I know any of these words. I, I fully believe you. Yeah, we 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 don't need to get into that. It's <laughs> <laughs> we can get into that elsewhere. But yeah. yes, excited yeah. for the femboy roundtable whenever it happens. It's gonna be good. It's well, gonna be great. well, we'll leave the audience with that sort of teaser for uh, them to look forward to whenever that happens. Um, and I guess the other sort of end materials you know you can go find us on twitter the twitter account at when a guy has i'm doing a listener mail bonus episode at some point maybe you can email the podcast at when a guy has at gmail.com or dm us on twitter or um there'll be a link in the replies to the twitter to the tweet with this episode that takes you to um a way for you to send voice messages in that I can then sort of just like seamlessly drop into the pod and and then respond to so yeah, I can actually do like listener voicemails <laughs> so like a real radio call in kind of deal real radio call in hours yeah um I and um yeah I would I would like to eventually if like there's enough interest and I'm able to like technologically figure it out. I'd love to do a live stream where like people call in and pitch you know, themselves. You're describing to me or... <laughs> you're describing Twitter space because you can I, record Twitter space. I, I guess I, I I could do I could do a Twitter space. I guess actually that maybe that makes sense. Maybe that's something I should do. Um, it probably would be manageable if someone else is a co-host and like has muting and muting stuff right like and just being able to like direct that so you can focus on replying to people but i've seen i've seen the like radio show format be played out really well it like on twitter spaces so okay well that's that's good to know maybe that's maybe that's what i'll do maybe that is what i will do um mm-hmm. yeah i guess we'll see um but as always thank you for listening thank you so much to seth for sharing your life with us tonight and um yeah that's about it yeah thank you for hormones you know yeah thank god for hormones <laughs>